Psalm 1. This morning we're going to be looking at what it means to be blessed eternally. Blessed eternally. But what does it mean to be blessed? Before we look at our text and before we read our text of Psalm 1. Someone came up to you in the street with a clipboard and was doing a survey and was asking a questionnaire and, and asked you the question, what does it mean to be blessed? I'm sure you would get different answers from different people. But what kind of things would go through our mind? And as we think about that, what about the people in the world? What about the people who have no interest in Christ? Uh, they do not love Christ. What would they say to such a question on the street? What does it mean to be blessed? What kind of questions might they answer? Perhaps money. Perhaps fame. Perhaps a big house. Perhaps a a family. Perhaps many friends. They may give many different answers. Depends on the person. But should we, as believers in Jesus Christ, should we have a different answer than the world? Of course we should. Our answer should be very, very different. Friends, there's a real danger, isn't there? And sometimes we can be a Christian for many years. Maybe we've been raised in the Christian faith. And we've been coming to church for many years. We may forget the true blessings that it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And how wonderful it is. And all the privileges that we have. Yes, in the world to come. Yes, in heaven. But also here on this earth. Forgetting all that we have in Jesus Christ. So as we read now through this psalm, Psalm 1. Let us all be thinking of what it truly means to be blessed. Someone, let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Today in the West, we seem to have so much, but yet feel like we have so little. If you listen to the, to, the, to the radio, to the media, it would seem like there's that sentiment. They may forget the first part, but they feel like they have so little. And what do I mean by that? You might be thinking here this morning, well, sure isn't the price of things going up? Uh, things are getting quite expensive. But yes, but if we think about the comforts we have compared to other times in history... You can buy almost anything from around the world. 
If you went back through history, generally that would be only kings and princes would be able to have such a privilege. To be able to buy all sorts of things that you wanted. Today we have greater health care. It's not perfect, but certainly probably better than any other time in history. Certainly than 20 years ago even. And if we look at the whole of history, not too long ago people on this island didn't even have electricity in most homes. Light bulbs were not a thing in a home. Um, washing machines, they've only been around how many years? Computers, even more recently. The internet, if you talk to somebody in the 1990s about the internet, they'll be like, what, what was that? What's that? Well, things are not perfect this side of eternity. We live very, very well compared to our grandparents' generation and our great-grandparents' generation. So the question now remains, why in a world that seems to be so full of plenty, in many ways, do we feel like we're so empty and meaningless in so many ways? Why are there so many young people who seem to feel hopeless? They seem to wander from maybe job to job or or calling to calling and never seem to be satisfied. Isn't it amazing? We have so many options, but we feel so hopeless, so many people, and so with so much meaninglessness felt to so many things. Could it be that we have forgotten what we really have? Could it be that we don't really appreciate what we have in front of us? And often, the more we have, the less we even appreciate it. Could it be we have far more than we realize? Let's go even a step further. As Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, what kind of blessings do we have? Far more than we realize at times. And when we forget these blessings... And that is when grief, sorrow, and hopelessness will come into our walk with him. We need to be reminded of these things because we often all forget these things. Do we not have the greatest privileges of anyone on earth? A few weeks ago, Queen Elizabeth passed away. And we might look at her life over 70 years and think of a Uh, the monarchy and look at all the privileges of that brethren we have far greater privileges than anybody on this earth including presidents and kings or anyone because we serve in the greatest kingdom we are heirs according to the promise and this morning dear friends I pray that if, if you are here and you feel discouraged That this psalm would bring much healing balm to your soul. Much encouragement. It brings much encouragement to the true believer in Jesus Christ. But it also warns of those who are not described in this psalm as blessed. There's grave and serious warnings to those who are not here described as blessed. Blessed in the eyes of eternity. So... Come, dear friends, come, come, let us look and see what a blessing it is to be a Christian, even in our modern world. Our first point here this morning is the record of the blessed. 
the record of the blessed. Here in the beginning of our psalm, we see what it, what it looks like to be those who are blessed. It says in verse 1 of Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. This is what they look like, or in another way, this is what they do. This is what they do. So often, especially in this fallen world, we're not often seen or known by what we do. The world doesn't often want to know what we do. But it will be, it will be seen often in what we reject, isn't it? What we stand against. It is easy in this part of the world, relatively easy, in this part of the world to come to church on the Sabbath day. And I say relatively easy because there are challenges no matter where you go in coming to church. There's always pressures to come away from the Lord. But we have a relatively easy comparison to certain countries where you would have the danger of prison. You would have the danger of beatings. You would have the danger of being isolated from your family in many parts of the world by saying, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. That is a reality for many, many Christians around the world. To name the name of Christ puts their very life in danger. But they so often gladly do profess him because they love him so. Now I say often as well because this is changing. Our world is changing around us. And it is more and more hostile towards Christianity even on these islands. We are being challenged more and more, pressured more and more to be conformed to the world rather than being conformed to the image of Christ in whose image we are to be conformed to more and more as we grow in holiness. When these tests come, we often see what is in our hearts. What do we stand for? Now the first part that it points out here, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. We see if we walk in this counsel or this advice of the ungodly. This word ungodly could also be translated the wicked. The wicked. So those who are wicked have their own advice. They have their own form of wisdom. It's not wisdom, it's really foolishness. But they think it is wise. And they have their own Advice to give us, don't they? And the the question is here this morning, what wisdom or what advice do you follow? The wisdom of heaven or the wisdom of this world? As you walk through your life, do you walk or live in a way that the wicked think at times is evil? They will think, looking at the Christian faith and the walk, that it's not good. You need to not be doing that, they may say to you. But you know from the scriptures that this is the right course of action. The wicked, those who are outside of Christ, those who are not blessed, will give their counsel. They will give their advice. Now this is not to say that we seek confrontation. I think sometimes we may misunderstand this as Christians. We may think we have to seek 
confrontation at every corner and every th- time um, we, we have an opportunity. Uh, but the scripture says this, if it is possible as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all men. But there is a characteristic of the, the blessed man here in our psalm that he does not walk in this council. He rejects it. And he must go after another council. He does not walk after the way the world approves. The world's not always going to approve of what we do. You'll often hear it, won't you? Oh, you can be a Christian, but why are you against two men marrying? You've often heard things like that, haven't you? Oh, I believe in marriage, but... Dear friends, we must stand against such things because that is a redefinition of marriage. It is changing what marriage is. So we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we must go according to the advice or the counsel, not of the wicked, but of God. It says in Ephesians 5 verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. We have to be aware, dear friends, that the world does not think we are blessed here this morning. It thinks the exact opposite. The world thinks that we are deceived. And the world will think that we are wasting our time. That is the advice of the world. Why eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. That is the philosophy of the world. They have rejected God. But we must reject such supposed wisdom. It is a foolish road to destruction. Are you blessed here this morning, friend? Do you have these eternal joys? And this is what the word blessed means here. Some will say that it could be even translated happinesses. It doesn't quite bring out the meaning very well, but there's eternal joys here being spoken about. In blessed is the man. But you will not be blessed if you walk in the counsel of the wicked. Those who follow the advice of the wicked are not blessed. But if you're those who follow God, his advice, his counsel, then you are truly blessed. Because you will only follow his counsel and his advice if you've been born again of the spirit of almighty God and trusted in his son, Jesus Christ. There are other activities described here in verse 1. There is... We just looked at walking, but there's also standing and sitting. If you think throughout your whole day, what do we do? We walk, we stand, and we sit. We walk, we stand, and we sit. It's not, how can we summarize this? This is a record of our whole life, of this person. Um, what is seen in their life when it is examined. And it's basically saying this in a very general way. Their whole life, not just part of it, is a rejection of what is evil. A rejection of what is evil. Now, we will never do this perfectly, will we? But our whole life characterizes it as a rejection of foolishness. 
the blessed man stands not in the path of sinners. You could even say he stands alone. He stands in in a strange place for the world. He stands somewhere else. He does not stand to admire or observe their way. He is standing away from the way of sinners. And sometimes this is the greatest and the only testimony you might be able to give at your place of work. This might be the only thing that an unbeliever may see about you. That they are involved in some sinful activity. Whether it be coarse joking. Whether it be drinking heavily at the weekend. Or whatever it is. And you do not stand in that way. You're not part of that. Often it is, and we should be for things we are for. But they'll think, and so often as I did before I was a believer, why does that person do that? It does make you think. It does make you think. We do not identify as well as it says here, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. We're not to identify or to find rest with those who are scornful. And what will a scorner do? A scorner is someone will mock at this knowledge. The, the, the true counsel of heaven, the true way, the, the truth and the life will be mocked. It will be ridiculed. It will be so foolish, he will laugh at it. Now in Psalm 2 we see later in the, in the Psalter, it's God who laughs at the rebellion of the wicked. But it is the scornful here who derides and reviles the truth of heaven. Wisdom is a joke to the ungodly. It is something that they laugh at. It says in Proverbs 14:6, a scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it. Because he, he thinks it's foolish. And we must not identify with this rebel. We must not, as, the pro, as a proverb would say, not lie down with fleas. Or not lie down with dogs. Or you'll lie, wake up with fleas. This is the record of the blessed man, woman, or child. A rejection of evil. A rejection of evil. And so often we can think, yes, we're for this. Yes, we'll be for these things. But there are times when our rejection of evil will be tested. Our life must be a standard bearer against evil. We point toward the ultimate standard bearer, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what life looks like if you are blessed. And ultimately, this is to be Christ-like. This is to be like Christ. Our, Our second point this morning is the rejoicing of the blessed. The rejoicing of the blessed. But the Christian life is not just things that we reject, is it? It can't just be We disagree with this, we disagree with this, and we disagree with this. It can't be just that. But mainly what or who 
more importantly, who we embrace. We embrace. In verse 2 it says this, but his delight, this is the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Why do you reject the way of the sinners? Why do you reject the the seat of the scornful? Why do you reject the counsel of the wicked or the advice of the wicked? Because you don't delight in them. If you do delight in them, you will listen and you will follow it. But if you delight in another way that is the complete opposite of that way, then you will reject it. If you see sin and it grieves you, it saddens you because it dishonors Christ, it dishonors your maker, your creator, your king, your redeemer. If you have embraced him, you cannot rejoice in sin because if you've embraced the one who is love, what is love? It, it tells us that love is, in 1 Corinthians thirteen six. it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. There's a joy in the presence of the truth. There's a joy in the presence of the light. There's a joy in the presence of the great King of kings and Lord of lords. The man who is the truth, the way, and the life. And if you do, delight in the law of the Lord. You delight in him. You delight in him. How can I say this? How can I say this? Here this morning, you might be here thinking, well, is the law something I've been set free from? You may remember in Romans, Paul speaks about being set free from the law of sin and death. You might think that it's unloving to even talk about the law. In many Christian circles, we think it's unloving to even bring up certain standards and things like this. And you may feel uncomfortable with the idea of loving the law. And maybe you think that this sounds unloving itself. Yes, you've been set free from the law, as Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote in various different places, but you are not free obeying it. You're set free from the condemnation of the law. Up until the point of your your salvation the law stood against you and condemned you. The wrath of God stood against you. But after this, it's no longer the wrath of God. The condemnation you have been set free from in Jesus Christ. And in this sense, you have been set free from the law. But we've been set free to love it. As well, no longer is it our, our something that's impossible to obtain. It is still is a, a, impossible to obtain, but it is something that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is something that we now rejoice in and find gladness in and delight in, and it is now a guide to our lives. No, we can't keep it perfectly. We we can't. But at the same time, it is a light that shines in the darkness. It guides our way. It tells us, really, of who God is in his moral character. And our attitude to the law of God, and the law of God is summarized in different ways in the Bible. The law of God is summarized in the Ten Commandments. And notice how I said summarized. 
It's like a shortened version of the law of God. Our attitude to the law of God very much says a lot about our attitude to God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. You could even say it like this. His delight is in God's moral goodness, his moral character, his love, his standard. God does not have a standard that is apart from himself. God, in his moral goodness, is the standard by which we will be judged on the last day. He is that goodness by which we will be tested against. But how do we know what this goodness looks like? Or how can we see or measure what is good or what is bad? The law of God. That perfect law of liberty. We talked about the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, it's summarized another way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and strength. And the second great commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is taking the first four commandments and summarizing them further. And the, and the second table of the law summarized again. But it's the same law. What does love towards God look like? It means putting him first, the first commandment. It means not making idols and going away from him, the second commandment. It means not blaspheming his name and using his name as a curse word in other areas, the third commandment. It means setting aside the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And, that's, and we don't just, if we love God, we will delight in that and we will love it. What does it mean to love the one who is loved? We could even summarize it further again. God is love. That whole law is love. Jesus said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Because, friends, that's what commandment keeping looks like. So to follow Christ is to love him. It looks like keeping the law of God. And, and to keep the law of God, you have to delight in that. To delight in it. To rejoice in Christ is, is to love the law he kept. Now this is, this is the law that Christ loved and kept perfectly upon the earth. And it is his image in which we are to be conformed into. And to not love Christ is to find no delight in the law. If you come to the law and you find in your heart hatred toward it, that is a dangerous place to be. But if, dear friend, you come to the law of God, you say, I am but a sinner, I wish I could be more like this standard. Then, dear friend, your heart has been changed by God. Because it is only by God and His Spirit that we can find delight in this law. You'll only keep it. You'll only follow it. You'll only wish to be like it if you delight in it. Not just once a week, is it? If we are just coming once a week into thinking about these things once a week, could we really say that we love and delight in these things? If you have a hobby that you love, imagine if you have a hobby that you love. People go playing golf. People go playing all sorts of things. And how often do they talk about it? Probably every day. 
not just once. If you said, right, I have a hobby that I'm massively into. How often do you do it? Oh, once a year. Maybe once a week. You never think about it the rest of the time. You probably think you're not that much into it. But if you're really into something, what do we do? We think about it a lot, don't we? And it comes up in our conversations. Something that we love, something that we delight in. This is the idea here. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He meditates day and night. That word meditate there is also, it's got the sense of a word murmur or kind of comes up time and time again. And not just one day, but day and night. Or by day and night. This is a daily occurrence. This is a daily occurrence. Now perhaps you're here this morning and you're thinking, I struggle in this area. I wish I could rejoice more in this law. Yes, I love the law, Lord, and I, I struggle in this area and I, I wish to grow more. Well, that is a great place to be, dear friend. To see we all need to grow, don't we? Every single last one of us. But I'll leave you with one in this point, one suggestion to how to grow in this delight. See, emotions are a funny thing. But spend serious time with God. Any relationship where there's not serious time invested in it will suffer. If any of your gardeners, if you don't invest serious time weeding, cultivating the ground, that garden will suffer. And when you see that garden bloom and flourish, what will happen? You'll delight in that place. And actually, it'll become a better place to labor and to work and to go back to again and again. Spend serious time alone with God. Shut off the computers, shut off the phones, and come and be alone in prayer and reading the scriptures. It's not even about how much you read. I would say spend serious time alone with God. Number three now, the root of the blessed. The root of the blessed. So we've looked at the record, the rejoicing. Now we're going to look at the root, the root. And we might say, how is this all possible? Verse three, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. How is this possible? We who are born dead and trespasses and sins, how can we live this way? You might be thinking. Well, there's a picture here, isn't there, of a tree being planted by rivers of water and with this fruit being brought forth in its season. And so are you here to stay, dear friends. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been planted by God. It is God's work that does this in the, in the root and in the planting. The root and the source of all the life is the work of God. It is God. It says in Ezekiel 36 verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart 
or sorry, I will, t- I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. No longer a heart of stone, Ezekiel writes. Now a heart of flesh. And what is the difference between a heart of flesh and a heart of stone? One is living and one is not. One is beating, one is not. God must do this work in our hearts or we have no hope. The gospel can be offered to all people everywhere, but it is only a work of God that any come in the first place. The gospel commands all men everywhere to believe, but only those whom God has shown mercy upon will come. It is God who does the planting. It is God who does the regenerating. It is God who gives life. And so often, there can be no life in the professing Christian. It can be for a couple of different reasons, but no visible life. It can mean being black backslidden. Maybe being drawn back into the world. But it could also mean that the person does not know God at all. It's a serious place to be. It may be a situation where this person... They anxiously toil to gain peace with God. They work, they labor, they try. They want peace with God, but they're trying in the wrong place. They're trying in their own efforts. They they seek it with tears just like Esau did. But they're seeking it in their own efforts. They're not finding rest in God. And you cannot gain peace with God through your own efforts. It will only bring more and more torment. It's only if you've given up hope and self. Faith alone is really ceasing from your own work and finding rest in Jesus Christ. Then you will be like this tree in our psalm. Because of God, you have a root. And because of God, there will also be fruit in its season. If there is no fruit, there is no root. Now, the fruit does not save you, dear friend. It does not save you. No two Christians are alike. You know, you'll get some Christians more gifting in some areas than others. It's not wise to compare ourselves with other Christians. But there will be fruit. Some a little, some a lot. But there will be fruit. The fruit doesn't save you, but it will be there. What would it say, dear friends, if you came to harvest time, you've, you've planted the seed, you've done all the things, the weather has been perfect, all the conditions are there to provide life, and there's no good reason why nothing should grow. And you come in harvest time, and what happens? There is no fruit. You come to pick the fruit on the tree, and what happens? You'd be a little bit disappointed. You put in all that hard work. What would you think of that tree? Is it alive? Or is it dead? What happens to that tree? It says in Matthew 3 verse 10, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The tree is dead, it's no more good. You chop it down and it's thrown, it's good for firewood. That's kind of the picture here. Matthew seven nineteen. every tree that does not bear good 
fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. But it's also a picture of how we ourselves, if we do not have a root planted by God, we will have no fruit. And we ourselves will be cast into the fire, that eternal lake of fire. The good who are the good tree produces good fruit. And it's because of God. And then verses 4 and 5 talks about, this is not the case with the ungodly. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. Verses 4 and 5, the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The ones, the, the tree with the root there's a root, there's fruit, there's substance, there's something of weight. Um, the ungodly or the wicked are described here as chaff, chaff. And the picture here is of harvest season and you're winnowing wheat and the wheat is being thrown up into the air. And the, the wheat falls down. But the wind, what does the wind do to the chaff? It carries it away. Carries it away. Uh, the good stuff has weight. It has substance to it. Uh, the chaff. It's blown about. By every wind. Now. In our text. It talks about the ungodly. Like chaff which the wind drives away. The word wind here can be translated spirit. Spirit. And it's the same word used for the Holy Spirit. Without that root. There will be no fruit. And without that root in God, that source of life, the Spirit of God will drive us too away. Final point here this morning. This will be a brief point. The, the Redeemer of the Blessed. The Redeemer of the Blessed. So we've looked at the record, the rejoicing, the root, and the Redeemer. Now you may be reading through this this morning and getting concerned. And here is the blessed man and I don't measure up to this. And dear friends, none of us do. Except for one. There was one man who lived upon the earth. Who perfectly fulfilled every point of the psalm. There's somebody who lived in this world who walks, who walked perfectly, not in the counsel of the ungodly, didn't stand in the path of sinners, nor sat in the seat of the scornful, with a perfect record. And it is those in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, him with that perfect record, that the Lord knows. It says in verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the, the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now this knowing here, it's not an intellectual knowing. It says the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's not just that God is aware of who is or who isn't his. It's more than that. It's not just that God knows the future. God knows everything. God never learns anything. Anything that comes to pass is because he has decreed it. But this is an intimate, loving relationship knowing. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. 
you look at the word knowing all the way throughout the scriptures, there's, there's an intimate, deep relationship being spoken there, a specific knowing. It says in Matthew 7, 21 and 20 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's people at the end of time will say to the Lord, 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 did we not do all of these wonderful things? And we said, Lord, not just once, twice. And that's a way of being emphatic about it. If you told them when they're on this earth you're not a Christian, they'd be angry about it. But what does he say to them on that day? Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. This lawlessness demonstrated that they never had a root in the first place. And that they were never in union and communion with this Redeemer spoken about here in this psalm. That's what it means here in verse 6. The way of the ungodly shall perish. The way of the ungodly will be told in that last day, depart from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. It's not that God didn't know the future. It's not that God learned something new. This is an intimate knowing. He who knows who are his. And dear friends, the difference, I hope, We go home with this thought. It is not your performance that will make the difference of whether you are a part of the blessed or whether you're part of the opposite of what it means to be blessed, the cursed. What will make the difference in that last day? Is it your performance? Is it how much fruit you produce? Not at all. The difference is Jesus Christ. The difference is God himself. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous He is the one who is the one who separates the wheat from the chaff. It is his power and it is his glory. And in his power, the way of the ungodly shall perish. Because they're not depending on Jesus Christ. But he knows the way of the righteous. And that should should comfort us all who are in Jesus Christ. If If you're clinging to Christ, though your faith may be the size of a mustard seed. And that is the smallest seed possible. You have this hope. And so, because you're in Jesus Christ and you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you can come here later. We're going to sing this psalm in a few minutes. You can come with a heart full of joy because this is how God sees us in Jesus Christ. We're justified. And in the future, we'll be glorified. Here's what we can say of ourselves. This righteousness has become ours by faith. Isn't that amazing, dear friends? Isn't that amazing? Doesn't it make, make us think how blessed we are? And how stark of a reality it is for those people outside of Jesus Christ. It should do two things for us. Remind us of how blessed we are. But also remind us of how the horrible future that awaits those outside of Jesus Christ. We need to share the gospel wherever possible with our friends, 
neighbors and family who do not know him. Are you blessed here this morning? Now friends, if you're truly blessed in the sense of the psalm, you will not be blessed in the eyes of the world. You won't be. The world will think it's strange that you are here this morning. Why would you come and sing the psalms? Why would you do these things? There's this probably extra pressure on young people. Oh, why would you be doing such things with your, with your Sunday? But if you are truly blessed, you know why. Because we're here to worship him who has lived in our place, died in our place, and has rose so that we have the hope of the resurrection to come. And dear friends, if you have this record by faith, he will raise us all up on the last day. Isn't that a wonderful thing to look forward to? Our bodies may go into the ground, but our bodies will be resurrected one day. Justified by faith alone, but one day our bodies glorified. Friends, we have so many things to be thankful to God for. Amen.